Being a Better Man, Episode 34, The Freedom of Sobriety. You have just entered a world governed by personal accountability, where being a man is not an excuse for bad behavior, where complaints are not allowed, whining is forbidden, and excuses do not exist. Join us as we focus on the actual character of men rather than merely the trappings of manhood, where we discuss getting the best out of yourself instead of trying to get the better of someone else. We have one singular mission, being a better man today than we were yesterday. Now prepare to have your thoughts provoked, your ego challenged, and your character tested. It's time for being a better man. Here's your host and fellow man in the trenches, Alf Herigstad. Hey everybody, welcome back to Being a Better Man. I'm your host, Alf Herigstad, and today we have a compelling story told by the man who lived it. It's a story of addiction, followed by the victory of sobriety. And My guest, Victor Yako, has become a better man. And since his sobriety two years ago, he's accomplished many things. He's written a book, had a baby, written many articles, and spoke at international conferences, and much more. But perhaps the greatest thing he's done is simply to maintain his sobriety for that long. And whether you consider yourself a casual user or you wake up in the gutter now and then, I'm sure there'll be a lot of value that we can all use in today's episode. Even if you don't use anything, you probably know and care about someone who does. So let's welcome Victor Yako to the Being a Better Man microphone. Welcome to the show, Victor. Alf, thank you, and thanks for the wonderful introduction there. You bet. Why don't you just go ahead and and tell us your story. Victor wrote to me on the website, and um, I'm like, yeah, this is a story that needs to be told. Sure. And I think that your audience in particular is an audience that I, I would like to share my story with. Uh, what you say in the intro to your show about being a better man is about accountability. It's not about doing bad things. It's not about making excuses. Uh, that that really speaks to me and part of what I feel like is lessons that I've learned after finding sobriety. And so, well, I've written a few articles uh, critiquing some of the culture that we have related to alcohol use, in particular the field that I work in, which is websites or smartphone applications, where the culture is very relaxed around alcohol and actually encourages alcohol use. I won't say that it encourages abuse, but for those who are prone to abusing, um, encouraging use, it can be the equivalent of encouraging abuse. And so I've done some writing and I've started speaking at some conferences. And really it's to share the message that I don't think everybody needs to be stone cold sober. Uh, I don't think that we need to limit access to alcohol, but I do think that we need to understand there are a lot of us and even some of this who we would never expect. For me, alcohol has, it's always been an issue, but I didn't realize it was an issue until a few years back. And in high school, I was pretty straight-laced, and I know that's when most people encounter alcohol for the first time, And but I should have actually known from that first encounter that I had an issue because uh, we were I was with some friends and we were drinking whiskey, and I was the one who drank until I got so crazy that I was like, trying to set my arm on fire, and I was I was very hungover. And, and part of me was like, I'm never doing that again, which I think most of us say when we drank enough till we're hungover the next day. But I was like 13 or 14, and I really did stay away from it. There was no alcohol in my house. I only would have encountered alcohol through friends. But it was always the same story. Whenever I would encounter alcohol, I would drink it as fast as I could to get as drunk as I could. I didn't know what a buzz felt like. Did mm. I would 
immediately just start chugging beers. Usually by the time the night was over, I was sick and I couldn't remember feeling good or having a good time was what I did. There was never just two drinks and I'm done. You know, if I could fit three or four or five beers in one hour, that's what I would do. And I would either pass out or throw up and then pass out. And sort of, it was sort of like, you know, a joke because it wasn't impacting my life so negatively at that time. And again, um, many times where I would go a month or two without drinking at all. The problem was really when I would start to drink, no breaks. That was throughout my 20s. And it was really into my late 20s that this magical thing happened, but all of a sudden I had a tolerance and I could drink and drink. I would just get angry when I was drunk, and that's when I would get into arguments with people. So the people who are close to me in my life, I had a wife at the time. She's now my ex-wife and I'm remarried, but getting into arguments with her, getting into arguments after that with girls that I'd been dating or family members... I never made the connection, but I would get drunk, and then I would say the stupidest things or the meanest things. And then I would get drunk while I was doing things like traveling for work and miss the next day of work. Different jobs than the one that I have now, but still unacceptable. And, and I never really thought this is a problem. So that's that's sort of my, my back history with alcohol. But then more recently, things got worse. I had this tolerance and my lifestyle became drinking to the point of blacking out three or four times a week. And I'd been doing that for well over a year. And I'd met uh, the woman who is now my wife. And it became just sort of our thing to like have some drinks after work. But for me, it was always have as many drinks as I could have after work. And with the blacking out, things were becoming a lot worse. And I was actually waking up in places I shouldn't be breaking things, right. getting into you know, real arguments and real fights with people. Um, uh, had you ever up to this point ever like tried to quit or had, had it ever occurred to you to just not drink yet? So only in those mo brief and fleeting moments where I felt regret about something that I had done hmm. or maybe felt sick because I was still hungover. And then I would think, yeah, I really need to not do this. And at the same time, this, this calling of going back to drinking, it had started to become very comforting and it had become ingrained in my routine. Um, part of that was also probably getting divorced. And with my ex-wife, I had children and I didn't have the full-time custody of my children. So it was something that the end of the day, I rewarded myself with alcohol. I feel bummed out. Right. So yeah, I, I mean, in superficial ways that I thought, oh, I should stop drinking. And typically... It was in response to somebody else being really displeased with what I had done. So it would be like, oh, you know, I, I, I messed up big time and now I need to show somebody that I'm serious. And so I'm going to stop drinking because that'll show them I, I'm really sorry about what I did. And trying to quit drinking for someone else never works. And, and right. that's the truth is that if you're just doing something to try to make somebody else happy or if you're going to say somebody, you know, please forgive me, you're not, your heart isn't in it. And for me, I certainly think that quitting drinking for a few days or maybe even for a month, whenever this hurdle I'm trying to get over is done with, I'm, I can't wait to start drinking again. It was certainly not sincere. Right. So I actually had to get to that point. And, and that's where I found myself almost at the very beginning of April, where I haven't had a drink for two full years. And, you know, I can tell you with confidence that I'm going to hit that. Uh, I've, I've changed my life. I've changed everything I do. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But in order to get there, you know, I did have to hit what they call rock bottom. And I think that, unfortunately, rock bottom is a very subjective place. So 
once you find yourself there, you're not certain that that's where you're at? Well, I was going to say, you mean like what's rock bottom for some people would not be rock bottom for somebody else? Right. It's really deciding that your life has gone to complete hell. And what what is rock bottom? Um, for me, rock bottom looked like constant anxiety inside and outside, just feeling like I was going to fall apart, craving alcohol from the time I woke up to the time I started drinking and then right. passing out. And almost every time passing out, having the thought in my head that like things will be different tomorrow, hmm. having very little money because I was spending it all on alcohol and just enough money to pay the bills that I needed to live, paying for things that I would break in alcoholic rages. Um, and I'm sure that I did things that I could have found myself in jail doing. I mean, I couldn't remember anything if I got blackout drunk and there was very little positive that I could point to in my life. And that's what rock bottom looked like for me. And a lot of people I know rock bottom is they lose all their relationships in their life. I mean, then they got no, nobody and mm -hmm. nothing. So once you hit rock bottom, what was that like? Well, I woke up one morning and you know, I had one person in my life, uh, to go to what you were saying and that was still with me. And that was my, at the time, fiance and everything was bad between us. Like she knew things were bad. We had been going to couples counseling. I had been going to individual counseling, but nothing was working. It was like, I was paying money to counselors so that I could ignore their advice, but I wanted it to be like, make the situation better. And nobody can do that for you. You actually have to be the person that decides to make that better. And again, I had come home drunk and I had just, I had destroyed everything. I had gone into our bedroom and I had destroyed everything after having a minor verbal altercation with her. And she wasn't there anymore when I woke up and broken glass was in bed with me instead of my fiance. And you wake up on the day after something like that and you wonder like, what's wrong? How did this happen? And how, how quickly can I make things right again? And the answer really is you can't like, You've done something so bad. You've harmed people's trust in you. You've harmed your relationships. There's really nothing you can do to make it better other than just start working on yourself. So I woke up. I destroyed all of our bedroom furniture. I had blood on me. I had broken glass on me. And I just sort of like, like a dog with my tail in between my legs took myself to the family counselor we had been going to. And she said, I'd think that... If you don't stop drinking and if you don't start this program, I know I can't work with you anymore. And so the very next day I went to see that counselor that she had referred me to, and he said almost verbatim the same words that she said, which was, I can't work with you if you don't stop drinking. And something about him saying that and having it be said to me almost the same way two days in a row clicked in my head that, man, like I'm just fooling myself. Everyone else can see that I have a problem drinking and and to hear him say, but I can work with you if you do stop drinking, that was like the only light I could see as it was so dim because I couldn't imagine what life was going to be like, honestly, Alf, without alcohol. It felt like, mm. like I couldn't imagine it. And so the counselor asked me, though, he said, if I'm going to work with you, I need you to commit to being absolutely sober for at least 90 days. And I felt like... That was the only thread of, of being a man or even being a person or a human that I had left in me was the word that I could give him sitting there in front of him that I would not leave his office and, and go get drunk and that I would try it one day at a time and that I would start attending 
AA meetings, which is something that he had asked me to do, and I said that I would do that. And in my mind, I thought, you know, this is the only thing saving me as a human at this point of any type of being any type of value to this world is that I'm going to try to stick to my word that I just made to this guy. And I did it and it was hard as heck. And it was one foot in front of the other, which I've run marathons and done some really long time consuming tasks, like getting a PhD in my past and everything that you do. That's sort of a long journey is one step at a time. It's never start the journey and all of a sudden you're done. That only, it only seems like it to people maybe from the outside, but if you're on the journey every day, it's it's not as exciting or as impressive. It's waking up and doing it. And that's what starting to walk away from abusing alcohol was like. It was every day was something different. Every day was a little bit of a twist. It was, you know, maybe it was traveling and not drinking. Eventually, I just was racking up those days, though. And a lot of it really did have to do with, I would never say somebody should go to AA or some other type of program, but I would say regardless of of what it is, you should find support. Um, so for me, AA did work, and it was hearing people who were out a year, two, three years ahead of me saying, like, you will survive. I promise you, you will survive. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to survive. I'm three weeks in, and all I want to do is is quit right now. But having them say, call me, text me, I don't care if it's 2 a.m. or whatever, before you take that drink, promise me you'll call me. And on top of that, uh, I, I just actually had some some really positive things start to happen in my life. My relationship with my fiance, imagine this, started getting better almost immediately. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, amazing. I'm not getting blackout drunk, and all of a sudden we're able to string together a few days where we don't fight. Hmm. Yeah. So that was wonderful. I got to feel what it felt like to give love and, and receive love again and feel like a human being about that. And then something I had always wanted to do was writing. I was able to start writing coherent things, and I was able to start getting published. And and even if it was just these somewhat technical papers that I was writing, my name was getting out there. I was getting recognized in this smallish community of of practitioners, and I caught on fire with that. And within the first year of my sobriety, I published 20 or 30 articles, and I had a book deal. And I was like, I could believe this was happening, and and I knew why. It was the, the sobriety, and it was finding something to focus all that energy that I had spent trying to find my next drink or spending my money on drinking, I was now focusing all that on bettering myself. And so, and that was a critical piece. And for anybody who is trying to stay sober, I really think that finding something to replace that habit, there's so much time you and energy you invest in thinking about and acquiring alcohol or whatever substance it is you're abusing, you really do need to replace that. Whether you call it replacing it with another addiction or whatever, it can be positive though. For me, writing is now my outlet. It doesn't have to be writing. It can be reading. It can be riding a bike. It can be playing with your children. It can be volunteering, but you need to, you need to busy yourself. I mean, that's just a fact. Otherwise your mind is going to wander to those negative spaces. It's really, it's, that's kind of what life is about is getting things done and doing things, not <laughs> just sitting around. Like I noticed uh, I had a girlfriend years ago who was a just a TV addict. It's all she wanted to do was watch TV. As soon as she left, I got rid of the cable, and, man, I was getting a lot of stuff done all of a sudden. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, you're, that's absolutely right. It's And so for me, alcohol was this big ball and chain on my leg, Mm -hmm. and and I didn't realize it, but I was also hiding it. And one of the things that came out in some of the writing that I did was 
I ended up telling my boss that, hey, I've public, I've got some articles that are going to come out, and I'm talking about like my issue with drinking, and I want you to know that because in case you know word gets back to you. And he told me he was absolutely shocked to know that I had a problem, and I told him like I thought it was written on my face every day. I came in and I I had this big sign on me like not productive, hungover, horrible person. And and really, I guess I was pulling it off to the point where at least everybody thought I was productive enough. <laughs> While I'm glad, I certainly didn't want to be fired. And I, it's also sad to think that that's what a lot of people are possibly going through is they're just holding it together enough. They're just – they're able to show up to work every day, but you don't know they have this problem. Right. Yeah. Now, I have a question about right. um, when you quit drinking – what about your friends or your your group of friends? What happened to them? Because that had to be a really tough part. Really, I was doing a good job of losing all my friends anyway, uh, leading up to that. But absolutely, 100%, the people who were with me before stuck with me and mm. supported me. And they weren't the ones who were pushing alcohol down my throat because I was actually able to hang out and talk and not get to the point where I'm just being a jerk. The thought of changing my lifestyle, the thought of not making every weekend revolve around finding a new bar, it was terrifying to think about what life would look like without right. that. And and really, it couldn't have been better and I couldn't have been more wrong about what I thought. When I tell people that I'm not going to be drinking anymore – they're not going to understand. They're going to leave me. And that's not what happened at all. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. See you later. Those aren't people that were truly your friend. It, it was People can't respect you for wanting to better yourself. And, and it's something that I want to do now is give back for people. You know, if I ever have a colleague now or if I'm going to have a colleague in the future, I want them to know that I'm someone who has been through some of this. And if they need support, that I'm, I'm here for it. And and so now I feel like I'm comfortable enough in my skin as a sober person, and I'm fine with saying I will go to the bar, and I will order seltzer water, and I will talk, and I will have a good time. And when I'm ready to leave, I'll leave, and I'll drive home, and I'll be sober. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it such peace of mind not having to worry about the cop behind you? It's terrifying to think about the times that I, you know, what I had done. Oh, yeah. And think, I'm sharing them with you. I made some damn poor decisions, but... It's beautiful, and it's also then tragic to know that that still is happening around me, that there are other people making poor decisions. And But I can say that there are so many other options, and when you're on the other side being sober and saying, like, yeah. there are so many other things you could have done and still, it still had a drink. Yeah. Now, did you have any – you said your parents didn't drink, but did you have grandparents or anybody else that was uh, alcoholic or – yeah, as far as I know, um, quite a few of my uncles and, and aunts have struggled with issues of addiction. And I think I had a great-grandfather who ended up dying from drinking way too much. And, and I think that from my mom's perspective, that was something that did factor into her not having alcohol in the house. And I know growing up, she would make a lot of comments around alcohol being genetic. And, and I was never uneducated about alcohol or alcoholism. I can remember hearing it in school and like the dare classes. I don't know if they still exist, but it never felt real. Right. And I don't know what the difference would have been. I don't know if it would have been having someone like me come in and say, I woke up one day and I realized I'm an alcoholic who has <laughs> yeah. violent tendencies. Um, I'm everything I never thought I'd be. And so 
I don't know how we can make stories like mine real. Like, it's not just in a textbook. And even, honestly, seeing, like, that I had drunk aunts and uncles at, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas, it didn't register with me. Oh, that's why they say silly things. That's why they say horrible things. Um, Well, yeah, I had a grandfather that died of alcoholism mm -hmm. when he was about 56, 57. And, you know, so growing up knowing that, I joined the Army... And there was this huge drinking culture, and, you know, I got, I drank quite a bit. And I got out of the Army, and I wound up, in 1985, I got a DUI, and it freaked me out. Because at the time, I had, like, three little kids, and I was married, and I'm like, oh, my God, I am I must have got the gene. I'm an alcoholic. and I, But I didn't know for sure, so I just decided I was just going to stop drinking. So I stopped drinking for four years, didn't drink anything, just to prove that I could uh -huh. in a way. But I never, and it wasn't hard for me, so I, I didn't really, maybe I don't have the gene. It's, it, it could have easily been me. This is a great example of when I said rock bottom is subjective, is like, for you, getting a DUI was the equivalent of hitting rock bottom at that point. You did not want to see what was below that. And so you changed no, what you no. were doing, and you were able to. So, so for me, for like trying to give advice to someone who doesn't know if they've hit rock bottom would be, you can raise your rock bottom. If you've decided you're at a point that you don't want to go lower than, then you should just say, I'm at my rock bottom. If you feel like you're at this place where you're uncomfortable with your relationship with alcohol, but you keep using it, you're going to dig a deeper rock bottom. It's almost guaranteed. So, so your story, I think, is a great example of if you want to test you know, wh when you should start turning things around. It's if you're uncomfortable, if something happens like that and you're just thinking, wow, I'm questioning my relationship with alcohol or with any drug that I'm going to pull away for a while because I don't want to see what happens next. Like what's after DUI? Is it a, a crash while you're intoxicated? Is it real jail time? What could it be? Do you want well, the, the ultimate rock bottom uh, is death, right? You're dead. You can't really turn around from that. <laughs> right, that's a great point. And so, yeah, if you keep digging to find rock bottom, <laughs> and I guess there's no there's no saying, oh man, should have stopped yesterday after that point. But really, well, if you question whether or not you have an issue, it's almost self fulfilling that there's some issue. But if you think you might have an issue, it's worth it to step back away. Again, going back to my situation where my friends and family didn't go running the other way, they stayed my friends and family, and if you tell people, hey, I just feel like I'm having some issues around alcohol and I'm trying to understand its relationship with me and my life, I would love it if you'd support me in this. And I, I think that nine times out of ten or even more, you'll find people are just going to rise up and say, heck yes, how can I support you? The whole bunch of people you know, understood that I was going to be drinking seltzer water in any situation involving alcohol because my job tended to bring me in contact with clients where we would take them out for dinner and drinks. And a whole right. bunch of people would check in with me on the side, like, hey, are you okay with this? Is the, are things working out for you? Do you need to step away? And it felt like they were honoring me and respecting me, like they care for me. And I think that people should know that they have that in their life. And if you don't feel like you do, find a meeting. Find something where there's other people who have experienced the issue you're feeling like you're dealing with. And I promise you, you'll find a whole bunch of people there who, I mean, they look at it as a notch on their belt if they can help you. Right, right. And and most people are really willing to help. I have another uh, family member who doesn't drink. It you know everybody else is drinking, and they'll just have soda or whatever. 
and everybody is really happy to support them. Mm-hmm. Most people that love you will be happy to support you. Especially if they've seen things that suggest you have an issue. And Yeah, and I would submit, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but um, if somebody's on the fence wondering whether or not they have a problem, there's like some really obvious things like, do I break things I don't mean to? Do I say things to people that I don't mean? And just simple things like that. Have I ever missed work? I mean, any kinds of those negative things might mean that you have a problem. Absolutely. You're stealing my thunder. I can't disagree with you on that. (laughs) But yeah, if you ever have to apologize for something that you've done while drinking, that means you did something really bad while drinking. And don't blame it on the alcohol. Blame it on your decisions. But then say... As a responsible person, I need to step away and understand what is my relationship with alcohol. Or, yes, missing work, you're not an adult if you're missing work because of being hungover. And I can say that as somebody who was an adult that missed quite a few days of work being hungover. I should not have made those poor decisions. I had a bad relationship with alcohol, and that was definitely a sign. If I could pull all the way back, I would look back at my 14-year-old self and say, here's a kid that had no breaks. The very second he took his first sip of alcohol, he went to getting as drunk as he could be. physically tried to harm myself. I threw up all over the place. I was sick for 24 hours on the very first time I encountered this substance. And then I continued that behavior when I, <laughs> when I met back up with it. I should have known that for me, that was the wrong thing. So Obviously, if that sounds like your story and you're listening, you should probably feel comfortable saying you have a relationship with alcohol that's not healthy and you should do something about it. But it's all those other things that can feel subtle, like, oh, I only miss work every six months, but why do you miss work at all? Or I only break things, you know, it's been (laughs) twice and I really feel like the first time was just, you know, I was provoked. Well, no, men don't break things and they definitely don't break things when they're drunk and they don't use that as an excuse It can't be an excuse, and it can't be just, well, next time things will be different. If you're putting yourself in that situation, eventually there will be a next time that is not different, and it could be a lot worse different. Yeah, there's no such thing, in my opinion, as a valid excuse for anything. I love that. An excuse is just just weak, weakness. And I just did a podcast episode about controlling your anger mm-hmm. i mean without the presence of alcohol just there's enough guys that have a hard time just controlling their anger it's and true then you add you add a little alcohol and losing control of yourself as a man diminishes you as a man absolutely i mean yes your manhood is about how well you can control yourself in any given situation and if you're going to sabotage your ability to respond by being too drunk or by consuming some kind of substance that raises your anger or reduces your inhibition around being in control of these things, yeah, you're absolutely straying from some of the basic tenets of being a decent person. Well, so let's talk about the the wonderful victories of your sobriety now. You say you had a kid? Another kid? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> And and you got married. Yeah. So, I mean, things really started to turn around quickly. It was almost as if all these good things were waiting right next to me to stop drinking. So, yeah, my relationship with my fiance, I had a lot of rebuilding to do, both in the physical sense of replacing the things that I had destroyed. But then also I had to rebuild our trust. She was no longer felt safe around me for good reason. She had seen me doing horrible things. And so I had to start from scratch with that 
and I wanted to, and I looked at it as as a challenge, but also as my duty of making it up to this person who I said I love you to and I cherish. And I was able to show her what a decent person I could be. And financially, things started to get better. I was no longer throwing money away as fast as I could on alcohol. I was no longer replacing things that I had freshly broken. And then with the writing, within the first four to six months of sobriety, that I was writing enough that I could put together a case for writing a book. And then I found a publisher that was interested. The miracle of miracles was my wife ended up getting pregnant. And uh, to know what I had been going through and what I'd been putting our family through, prior to that, really just like, I have to stay on this track. There's no way I can fail now because we have this baby that's going to come into the world and I can't fail her. And, yep. and it, it ended up being a girl. <laughs> you know, things just kept getting better. I got a large promotion at work. I've been able to start speaking more and more on the on the topic of my book, which is the application of psychology to design. My book's called Design for the Mind. I realized when I was a year sober, working in the field that I do, which involves a lot of young people, we literally have like an office keg and a beer refrigerator it can undermine people who are in a situation like mine and it can provoke people who are in a situation like I was in. I want to start saying, you know what? I'm writing interesting things and I'm somebody who has a voice in this field. Let me use my voice to say, there's also some other things that are going on here and I want to start to address them and have this conversation. And that's been the most rewarding thing for me outside of the awesome family accomplishments I've had is that, I've been able to raise my voice, and, and I've appreciated that that's been something that I can do. That's really awesome. That's a, a really a, a great thing. Imagine if there was somebody like that in every every company that was able to do that. Well, that would certainly make me happy. I, I mean, it would have been so much easier for me just to have one person at the company say, you know what, I'm sober, I'm going to the bar too, I'm not going to drink. I would have known what that looks like. Yeah, it would have become an option. Right. Like it wasn't even on the menu prior right. to that. And so absolutely, yeah. at least for my company or any event that I'm at, I want to be the person that can do that. When I think about drinking, like if I were to think, oh, I'd like a beer tonight, I would instantly go to, wow, 10 beers would be so great to have tonight. I can already tell you that thought is there. Yeah. So there's someone pretty close to me who was much younger than me, and we would go out sometimes and just to have a couple. Mm -hmm. But once those couple get inside of him, now it changes his entire perspective. And now he wants mm -hmm. a pitcher. And you get that down, now I want some shots. And it just gets out of control every single time. Well, I have one uh, last question for you about right. this. And then I'll let you talk about um, you know, how to, how to contact you and stuff like that. But So say there's a guy listening who is probably sure down deep he's got an issue with it, and maybe he just doesn't really know what to do about it. What is the first thing he should do that you would recommend he should do? I, I go online and I do some reading about what other people have experienced. You can just you know do some simple Google searches around alcohol and alcohol stories. You'll find consistently a story that sounds a lot like yours. And from there... Try to find a meeting of people, a support group. You know, I know that there are some people who are very anti-Alcoholics Anonymous. 
you can make major life changes and, and just have it be focused on going to those support meetings and meeting people. You'll meet great people. So I really think the first concrete step you can take is just starting to look at all the other people that have a similar story out there. You just you need to ask for support. This isn't something that you can do by yourself. And if you're very solitary, you can start by reading a supportive book. You can start by listening to this podcast. You know, your stories are across the board and they're all about self-help. So if you want to become a better person, it's a way of getting support. But if you feel like, but you want to talk to someone, find a counselor. There might be some either options through your employer or if you're unemployed, there might be some other options that once you put your issue out there, that's when the support can start. As long as you don't let anybody else know and, and expose yourself, you can't be helped. And whether that's just reading a supportive book or actually physically going to a support group meeting, listening to a podcast, that's a concrete step you can take. Try something else different. And the point is, you, you might not ever find anything you're as good at doing as getting drunk, but that's also really easy and a bad thing to be good at. But you might find 10 things you're sort of good at, and they fill your time up, and they make you a great person, a great man. And that is the definition of what you should be doing. You should be putting yourself out there, experiencing new things, trying new things that are going to make you this better person versus, well, I know what I'm good at. I'm good at getting drunk. I'm good at passing out. It's not, it's not, it doesn't make you a good human in any way. Yeah, it's one thing I noticed about drinking in general and drugs of any kind, really. They don't really do one good thing for, for you. Not one. No, I mean, they tend to be numbing the pain or... Yeah, they cost money. We tell ourselves, well, it helps me loosen up so I can be more social, you know, and stuff like that. But it's all BS, really. The real problem is you're nervous around people. Deal with that. Deal with it without <laughs> right. drinking, right? Exactly. Well, thank you so much, and congratulations on on uh, what you've accomplished so far. It's really awesome. Thank you, Alf. It means a lot to me. And coming from somebody like you, you're a person to be admired in a lot of ways, and have an opportunity to speak to your audience is really meaningful to me. Yeah, well, I know it's a big deal. I know there's a lot of folks out there struggling with some degree of this, or, or like I said in the in the introduction, or they know somebody who, mm-hmm. who is, and they, the more educated they become, the more of a help, the more of a friend and a man they can be for those people. So, how would people, uh, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or reach out to you, what should they do? There are a lot of ways. So. First of all, you can always email me just my full name, which is Victor Yako, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y-O-C-C-O at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter, and it's at Victor Yako, same thing. You can search for me on LinkedIn and, and hook up with me on that. And then also I have a website. It's www.victoryako.com. There's a theme going on here. <laughs> if you email me, I will email you back. And if you email me with something personal and you share something with me, I will totally hold it in confidence and I will give you a thoughtful reply. I support you in any way that I can. I, and there, I appreciate everybody's struggle. And there will be links to all of these things on the show notes of this episode. Great. So if you're driving down the road, you don't need to try to write this down. And and some links to some of your articles and stuff, too. At, well, at the end of one of my articles, I say is, put my article in front of their face. I'll say it for you. Give them my email address. I have no problem saying that we need to address this issue. We need to support people who are in, that there's great things just waiting to happen. And, and we all are responsible, actually, for making sure that people can rise up and become their best. 
And there'll be a link to your upcoming book as well. And Victor has included a a discount code. Sure. If any of you are into design and psychology, then my book, Design for the Mind, it's available now for pre-order. And if you pre-order it, you get the you get the access to the what they call the early access version, which is online available now. It's not fully copy edited. My publisher has it. They tell me it's going to be out by April. And so, if you ordered it now, you'd get the online access to the early access version, and then you'd get the full final version when it officially comes out. And yeah, there's a 39% off discount code that I've passed along. Um, yeah, if you do get the book, do definitely send me an email and let me know what you think. I like to put myself out there now. I'm not afraid of feedback, and I really I need to know if what I'm doing is working. If it's effective, then I'm happy, and, and I will tailor my message based on that because I feel like I have something important to say that I want people to hear. Well, I'm proud of you that you just that you've got to write a book because whenever somebody realizes their passion and their dream, it's so awesome. Thank you. I mean, it was really amazing, and for me, it's sort of still in that pinch me stage. At some point, I will have a physical book in my hand that has my name on it, and I know that you know, I have gone through a lot to get there, but I'm I'm not there yet, and I can't wait for it to be there. Yeah, my a childhood dream of mine was to someday have my own boxing gym and teach kids how to box and stuff, and I got mm-hmm. to do that. And nice, yeah. After a year, I got embezzled, and I lost it, but oh. hey... But I still got to do it. <laughs> that's that's when uh, you still achieve the dream, but then it turned into a nightmare too, huh? Well, I, that, it, that sounds pretty horrible. It, it kind of went the way it was supposed to, because but I did impact a lot of lives, and it was really awesome that I yeah. had a chance to do it. But anyway, so yeah, we better wrap it up. But thank you right. so much for being on the show, Victor. I can't thank you enough for having me, Alf, and I appreciate it. Anything I can do for you, just let me know, and and I'd be more than happy to do it. All right. Well, we will talk to you later then well that was my talk with victor yako one thing that strikes me about this story is how far victor came on his own power he said this is something you can't do by yourself and that's true but it is yourself and only yourself that has to make the first move take the first step like victor did and remember one thing i always say is what one man can do another can do. If Victor pulled himself up like this, then you can do it too. And maybe you don't have a problem, but you know someone who does. Maybe share this podcast with them to get the conversation started and be there for them as a support while they're going through it. Remember, all the links will be in the show notes of this episode over at the website as www.beingabettermanpodcast.com. That's it for now, but I want you to go out into the world and be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out.